Well, please take a seat. Thank you, band. Well, welcome tonight, guys. Um, we're just so glad you are here. If you don't know me, my name is Josh. And uh, before we jump into tonight's message and get cracking on that, I thought I'd just catch you up into speed as to what happened last week so you're not sitting there going, what happened? What is he talking about for like the next 25 minutes? So just to put things into context so you know what happened last week, uh, we launched a brand new series called Alone Together. Now, if that's a weird term, you're like alone together. How does that even work? Like you're either alone or you're together. You're not, you can't be both at the same time. Well, um, we looked at this idea last week that even though we live in a world that's more connected than ever, we've got our iPhones and we can literally connect with people on the other side of the planet and talk to them when we want, where, wherever we are, uh, we can still feel alone. We can still feel lonely, even though we can connect with people, even though we can be present at a party or uh, a lunch or uh, a dinner with uh, friends and with family, we can still feel lonely at the exact same time. And so what we wanted to look at in this series is look at how can you feel, oh, how can we grow a genuine relationship with people? How can we grow closer in our relationships with one another? Well, last week, Riley Brown in part one looked at the idea that uh, you and I, we were created for a relationship. The reason why you and I feel lonely is because without a relationship, there's something missing. And specifically, Riley looked at what us as Christians look at, or what, us as, uh, what Christianity uh, looks at what relationships were meant to be and what relationships were created for. And Riley said this, you know, we are created to live in relationship with both God and each other. And if you're an unchurched person, like, you know, I totally understand why you may buck back against saying you don't have to buy into that tonight. You can just sit there, um, but we'll, What I want for you is just to lean in tonight as we begin to answer this one question. How can we grow closer in our relationships? So regardless of whether you have a relationship with God, we all want to be close in our relationships with one another, don't we? None of us want to feel distant from our family. None of us want to feel distant from our kid. Nobody wants to feel distant from our friends. We all want to feel close. So how can we feel close in our relationships? Well, First thing is, it's one thing, uh, it's the investment of time. Time is critical to every and any relationship. It's critical to anything that we grow, right? Like gym, we go to the gym, if you want to grow biceps, like I'm not very good at growing biceps, but if you want to grow biceps, you've got to hit the gym, right? And not for five minutes like I do, but you've got to hit the gym for like significant amount of time. And not just one time, but continual times over and over and over. You've got to be con- continual and consistent with your investment of time in order to pack up and get those massive biceps and get jacked. But we don't, we kind of don't do that, do we? we go, well, I don't at least. We go to the gym for like five minutes and then we go home and we look at ourselves in the mirror. None of us admit to this, but we go and look at ourselves in the mirror and we go tensing because we thought we got big in five minutes, but nothing ever happened. And we, then we just quit because we thought we, were, thought we, was, we thought it was going to happen, but it didn't because it takes time. See, growth takes time. It's the same with dieting. If you want to, if diets only work if you, if you invest time into it. You can't grow beautiful foliage without investing time into it. It doesn't just happen like that. You've got to water it. You've got to like plant the seed. You've got to like fertilize it, put it out in the sun. It takes time. Everything that grows takes 
time. And same is true with a relationship. If you want to have a close relationship with your, with your son, with your daughter, if you want to have a close relationship with your mum and your dad, if you want to have a close relationship with your friends, you've got to invest time. You've got to be at that birthday party. You've got to, you've got to go out to dinner. You've got to spend time. You've got to go to coffee with them. You've just got to be with them. See, time is critical to growing any and every relationship, whether that's a relationship with your family, your friends, or even God. And while time is critical, you already knew that, right? You knew that you had to invest time. So why am I here? What, what, what am I going to talk about? Well, even though we can invest time into a relationship, we can also feel sa- uh, distant in that same relationship. You can go out and hang out with your friends every day for the next seven days and still feel distant in that relationship with them. I'm, I'm with... I hang out with youth kids every Friday night, um, a part of this youth group. And time and time again, I meet youth kids who hang out with their parents. They see their parents seven days a week, and yet they are distant in their relationship with their parents. See, there's more to a relationship than just investing time. And the same is with our relationship with God. We can invest time into our relationship with God. We can go to church we can join a connect group, we can pray all the right things, we can go give money, we can, we can uh, just read our Bibles, we can do all that and still feel distant from God. For many of us, if you're an unchurched person, this is maybe the reason why you push back against Christianity or push back against the belief in God because you came to church, you did the Bible reading and nothing happened. You were expecting like... Jesus, woo! But nothing, like nothing happened. Like what? I invested time and I still didn't feel close to God. Why? The same is true. Maybe, maybe you have been following Jesus, but sometimes you find yourself doubting because occasionally God feels distant. God feels far. There's more to a relationship than just investing time. Time is critical, but there's something else, something that partners with what we invest in our time. So the question I want to camp out tonight um, and hopefully answer for you is, what creates a genuine connection? We can invest time, but what creates a genuine connection? And luckily, luckily, we don't actually have to guess as to what that is. See, as we said last week, We all want to be connected. We all want to be connected. And I want you to feel close in your relationships with each other. And so does your Heavenly Father. God also wants to. And when Jesus was on earth, he he told many stories and parables and and had many teachings. And within these teachings that he uh, taught, he revealed to us how we stay close in our relationships with one another and with uh, God. And tonight, I want to look at one parable in particular, which Jesus told. Now, if parable is a weird, funky word that you've never heard of before, like, I understand, it's not a word that we use all the time. Now, a parable is like an analogy, and if analogy is another word you don't know, that is like, uh, it's like a story that you tell uh, with, with like a meaning, so like Red Riding, and, Red Riding Hood and like the Big Bad Wolf, like underneath this story, it's a made-up story, but there's a, there's a message behind it. Well, that's what Jesus would tell. He would tell these stories. He would set up a scenario 
uh, he would set up this analogy to refer to a truth, a truth about either God or about heaven or, uh, or about how we relate to one another. And he would tell this, he would set up this scenario to explain something complex. And so I want to look at one parable in particular that he told, and it's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, if you read through the four biographical accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, you've, you discover that there are two major groups that, like, Jesus attracted. So, Jesus was a phenomenal teacher. Nobody, like, re- disregards that. If you don't believe that Jesus is the uh, Son of God, uh, I understand, but there is still, nobody disagrees that Jesus was at least this, a, a phenomenal teacher. And Thousands of thousands of people would come to go listen to Jesus. People would, uh, people would come and sit down and question him on things. And of these large amounts of crowds that would come to follow Jesus, there were two main groups that would, uh, Jesus would attract. The Pharisees, which were the teachers of the law. So these were wise people. These were people who knew the Old Testament, or which was known at the time as the, as the Torah. So that's the first half of the Bible inside out. They knew it word for word. They, they didn't even need to look at the book. They could just recite it. They were that intelligent. Not only that, but they were considered righteous or, or the really good people of the day. They were the Pharisees. They followed Jesus around everywhere and they would always question Jesus on things. And then there was a second group, the outcasts. That, that consisted of fishermen, prostitutes, tax collectors, Heaps and heaps of people who didn't fit in with society. Heaps and heaps of people who were on the outside of society. They weren't the people that were liked. They weren't the people that everyone wanted to hang out with because they were on the outside. And Jesus would attract those people. And the worst of the worst of these outcasts was a group called the tax collectors. Now, the tax collectors, the reason why they were viewed as the worst of the worst was because... Tax collectors were, uh, they were Jewish people and they would work for the Roman Empire and these Jewish tax collectors would take taxes from their own Jewish people and they would stack up large amounts, more than what the Roman Empire uh, announced for them to take and they would pocket some of the tax for themselves. And they were seen as traitors in the eyes of the people because they were working for the enemy, the Roman Empire. And so everyone despised tax collectors. Nobody liked tax collectors whatsoever. And Jesus sets up this parable, this story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I just want to bring you in on that story right, real quick. And I've broken this. Beautiful. Woo! Nope, that's not going to work. Beautiful. Sorry about that. Um, So, it's up on the screen. Uh, It comes from Luke 18, verse 9. We're going to jump into it. And it says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So, he's telling the parable. Now, note who he tells it to uh, real quick, uh, but we're we're going to look at it in a moment because it is important, but we're going to look at that later. But we're just going to jump into the parable right now. So, he says... Uh, in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So here we are, we've got, we're, they're going up to the temple to pray. Now, prayer, if that's a weird concept, that's just 
really just going up to communicate to God, to talk to God, to have a conversation with God. And we've got this Pharisee and we've got this tax collector. So the scene's set. Jesus looks at the Pharisee first and he says, uh, in the next verse, uh, the, uh, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this man, the tax collector. Like, that's how bad tax collectors were. Like, the Pharisees, like, thanking Jesus that he's not the tax collector because tax collectors, nobody wanted them. Nobody liked them. They were just hated. And Pharisees, like, man, thank you, I'm not like him. And he goes on and he says, um, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, we probably don't understand what he's doing here, but like, uh, I fast twice a week. So he's talking about like, God, I'm upholding those laws that you, you've put in the Old Testament. Not only that, I give a tenth of all I get. So I'm also upholding all, all the laws. Like, I give my money to you, God. I, I'm, I don't just fast once a week, but he makes a big deal of it. I, make, I fast twice a week, Jesus. Like, I'm doing, I'm doing a real good job here. And the Pharisees just praying this out to God. And then we get to look at what the tax collector says to God instead. And it says, the tax collector, rather than standing on his own, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. Now, he's not just doing the King Kong kind of thing. He's actually just like, beating your breast in that context just meant... Uh, it was a sign of repentance. Uh, it was a sign of confession. It was a sign of, I'm not worthy. Um, and he does this, and he, and he prayed, God, I thank you, or God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's real short, but it's real deep at the same time. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In other words, God, have mercy on me, somebody who isn't perfect, Someone who doesn't have it all together. God, have mercy on me because, you know, I know, I know a tax collector, but please have mercy on me. I understand I've got imperfections. I understand I've got weaknesses. I understand I've got shortcomings. I understand I've got faults and failures. Please have mercy on me. And then Jesus wraps up this story after painting the picture between the two. And he says... I tell you that this man, talking about the tax collector, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Now that word justified means to be made right with, to be made in right relationship with, or in other words, to connect with. He's connected now with God. He went home connected with God rather than disconnected. The tax collector not the Pharisee, the tax collector, the guy who didn't have it all together, the guy who was the outcast of society, he's the one who went home connected with God. And then Jesus goes on to say this this profound thing. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, um, that word exalt, uh, I didn't know what that meant. I had to look that one up. So that word exalt means to elevate, elevate one's status. What Jesus is pointing out here is um, 
everyone who elevates their status, everyone who thinks they're great will be, will be humbled. Everyone who, who hides all their imperfections, who hides all their weaknesses like the Pharisee did and just goes, look how great I am, uh, will be humbled. They will be identified as, they, their weaknesses will be shown, their struggles will be shown, their faults will be shown and they will be humbled. But those who are humble, Jesus concludes, everyone who is humble, those who expose their weaknesses, those who expose their shortcomings, they will be elevated, they will be exalted. In other words, they will be connected with God. See, the point of what Jesus is pointing out in in this parable that he tells is that honesty and not perfection creates a genuine connection. And what creates a genuine connection? Well, it's not being perfect. I see a lot of us, we, we, we stumble into relationships, we get into relationships, and we, we want everyone to think we're great because we want to be liked in that relationship. So what do we do? We don't show them the bad things about ourselves, we just show them the things that are great about ourselves. But in doing that, by hiding our weaknesses, we put up a barrier between us and them. And in doing that, we prevent ourselves from experiencing a genuine connection because a genuine relationship requires you to be genuine. That doesn't, it doesn't require you to be just great, but it requires you to be you. And if, unless you're amazing, wonder woman, we've all got faults and failures to bring to the table as well. We've all got shortcomings. We've all got, we all miss the impact the perfect standard. And if we're not honest about those imperfections, we drive a wedge in our relationships. Just like the Pharisee, he shows just how great he is in the hope to impress God, but it's the tax collector, the guy who's honest about, hey, I haven't got it all together. Hey, I know I've I've fallen short. Hey, I know I made mistakes. It's him who goes home connected to God. See, we impress people with our strengths. We impress people with our abilities. But we connect with people through our weaknesses. Think about your best friend. Or think about the person you trust the most. I am bet that the person you trust the, uh, person you trust the most is either your mom or your dad, is either your partner, or is either your best friend. Maybe there's a fourth party, maybe it's a mentor, but I can guarantee that the person you trust the most is either your best friend, your mum or your dad, or uh, your uh, partner, or your best friend. Sorry, I don't know which one I already said. But anyway, um, that's aside from the point. And the reason why you trust them so much, I'm willing to bet, is not the fact that they were there when times were great. It's not the fact that they're impressed by how good you are at singing or how great you are on the keyboard or how great you are at crunching numbers for work. They're they're the person you trust the most, not because they think you're great because of all your strengths, but they're the person that thinks you're great even when you, you fall short. They're the person who's there for you when times are tough. They're the person there for you when circumstances aren't the way you would intend them. And you trust them because when times were hard, they were there. When you were weak, they were there. 
See, trust and connection is built through weakness. It's built through being honest about our struggles, being honest about our faults. See, honesty, not perfection, creates a genuine connection. Um, Famous psychologist uh, and best-selling author Henry Cloud puts it this way, and it's going to be on a couple slides, beautiful. And he says, you will have a good relationship to the degree that you are able to be clear and honest about everything. Your quality of your relationship is not dependent on how great you are, but is dependent on your ability to be clear and honest about not just some things, but everything. See, honesty, not perfection, creates a genuine connection. And so, the application, or as we like to call it here at Beyond uh, for Monday, because we believe there is no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't change your life for Monday, is to be honest in your relationships. Be honest in your relationships. It's pretty simple, but it's, it's quite demanding, isn't it? And I just want to, I want to unpack that a little bit more. What does it mean to be honest in your relationships? Because it's easy to say, but it's hard to apply. But why? Well, I want to flick back to the parable that Jesus told. See, in the parable, remember right at the start, in verse 9, he says, that to some who were confident in their own righteousness. In other words, to some who were, who were so confident in their own greatness, they were confident that they hadn't made any mistakes and they looked down on everyone else. And Jesus told this parable to them. See, the reason why the Pharisee wasn't honest wasn't because he didn't have anything to be honest about, but it was the fact, it wasn't the fact that he didn't have any weaknesses, but it was the fact he couldn't see his own weaknesses. See, the Pharisee, he looked down on everybody else. He could see the weaknesses in everybody else, but he couldn't see it in himself. Isn't that true? We can see the weaknesses in other people. We can see the faults in other people. It's so easy to go, they're bad at that. They've got a pride problem. They've, they've got like a gossip problem, but it's really hard for us to do it for ourselves, right? It's really hard to point it out in ourselves, but we've all got them. And when we're not honest with ourselves... We stop ourselves from being honest with others. Because you can't be honest with other people until you're first honest with yourself. And so, to be honest in your relationships, you need to first be honest with yourself. So I want to leave you with two questions this week. We're we're getting really uh, applicable at the back end of this series because we all want to be close in our relationships. And the two questions I want you to ask to first be honest with yourself is... What are your weaknesses? Ask yourself, what are your weaknesses? Not only that, but to ask yourself, what am I struggling with? Are you struggling with something at work? Are you struggling uh, with your pride problem? Are you struggling with a gossip problem? Are you struggling with the fact that somebody else got the promotion in work, but you wanted that and and it's just eating you up inside? Is this something that's eating at you? What are you struggling with? And then once you've identified those two things, your weaknesses and your struggles, I want you to take a step and to be honest. Honest with God and honest with at least one person that you trust. 
about your weaknesses and about your struggles. Now, honest with God, if you're an unchurched person, you can take that or leave that. That's up to you. But if you're a Christian, if you somebody would consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you want to be close to God, then you need to be honest. You need to be honest with God about those things that are within you, those things that you're struggling with. And I want you to be honest with one person that you trust. Now, the reason why I haven't said everyone is because if you did that, I know there are some people here who would who would probably go up to everyone on the street and go, hey, these are all my problems. Please fix them. And nobody, like, that's just kind of weird. Like, man, if somebody came up to you and just kind of dropped all your problems on them, that would, like, that would probably push you away from them, not bring you closer to them. See, there, you've got to be wise in where you share your weaknesses. But I want you to pick somebody who you trust. That's a best friend, whether that's your mum or your dad, whether that's, um, a mentor, or whether that's just your partner, but to pick someone you trust and to be honest about those weaknesses, be honest about those struggles. And some of you are sitting there like, well, Josh, I would love to, but there's this one thing that I, I really don't want to be honest about it because if I am, if I tell them, they won't like me anymore. They won't want to be friends with me anymore. They may put me to a side, like that's going to drive a wedge between us and our relationship. That's not going to pull us closer, being honest about that. Are you sure I have to be honest about everything? Well, while I can't guarantee that people are going to like you because you're honest about your weaknesses or your struggles, I have seen people be honest about the things they're going through and be pushed away. But I can guarantee you this. If you aren't honest, you will never experience a genuine connection because think about this. How will you ever have a genuine relationship if you're not genuine in the relationship? You have to be honest. And there are some people who honestly won't like everything about you. But that's their problem. See, if someone's not, if someone doesn't like the real you, they're not a real friend, right? If someone doesn't accept everything about you, if they don't like the real you, which is 100% of who you are, then they're not 100% friend. They're not a real friend. They're just a, a fan. They're just there for the good times, but they won't be there all the time. And that's not the people we want to hang around with. They're not the people that we want in our life, right? And so I just want you to be honest with them, to be honest because that will drive you closer. Finally, some of you are like, well... I would love to be honest, but, but why, would, why would they care? More specifically, why would God care? Why would God care? If, he's, if he is out there, why would God care about my small, insignificant problem? Like, why would he care about that? If he's all-powerful, if he created the world, like, why would he care about this? Well, that's the beauty of Christianity. Because Jesus, he cares about you. He died for you. He loves you. He was concerned about you. And so he died for you. Not because we had it all together, not because we were perfect, but because he saw through it all. He saw our genuine heart and he loved us. And that is who Jesus is. And that's why we have a church is because Jesus 
saw through our weaknesses and he loved us regardless of our pain and regardless of our struggle. And I just want to leave you with this final thing that Jesus said to his disciples. And it applies to you and me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are, not all you who are, got it all together, not all you who are uh, great, not all you who are fantastic, but all you who are weary and burdened, all you who, are, who don't have it together, all you who have going through struggles, God says, come and I will connect with you. Come and I will give you rest. And so why not try being honest this week? Honest with God and honest in your relationships with one another. You may be surprised as to what happens in your relationships. Why don't you let me pray for you? Dear God, we just thank you that you love us and that, um, that you want a relationship with us. Um, being honest is really hard sometimes. And so we just, um, we just pray that you would give us the courage to be honest um, in our relationships with you and our relationship with one another, God. Uh, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.